This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to episode two of the Destination Debbie podcast. I'm your host, Ray Garvin. You can find me on Twitter at RayGQ. Thank you so much for each and every person who took 46 minutes out of their life to check out episode one and had the stomach enough to bear with me for yet another show. I got tons of feedback on the first episode, and that's what I need to make in order to make this show as good as it can be. I want this to be your one-stop shop when it comes to Debbie-related Dynasty content. And things that I heard was that they loved the content, they really enjoyed the Debbie aspect of Dynasty, it was great delivery, but one of the criticisms that I got was the music at the end was just too damn loud. They couldn't really hear what I was saying at the end. It seemed a little rushed. It was muffled. That's fair. That's fair criticism. I, I, I need to make sure that that is corrected moving forward. And I'll just say, bear with me, guys. This is a fluid process. I will get it worked out. And just because I didn't get it right the first time does not mean it can't be done. Just like college players and specific NFL traits that you're looking for when you're making your prospect threads for Twitter or scouting for dynasty purposes, just because you didn't see a prospect do something in college, that does not mean that they are incapable of making that transition to the NFL and successfully executing said plays, whether that is a 15-yard post corner with supreme precision or a quarterback making a seven-step drop or a running back taking a handoff out of the eye formation, just because they didn't do it in college does not mean that they are incapable of doing that in the NFL. I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret here. And anybody who has played any form of collegiate athletics, whether that's soccer, football, baseball, basketball, track and field, doesn't matter. You guys know this. Um, college coaches, they are not hired to prepare college kids to become successful professional athletes, and in this case, NFL players. They truly could not care any less about a player's preparation when they step off a campus to fit into Kyle Shanahan's offense at the next level. They don't care. College coaches are literally working each and every day, each and every hour for their jobs, and they are going to do what's in the best interest of their job, and that is pleasing their head coach. That means when you're analyzing a player and you don't see him run the full route tree, don't hold that as a major knock in your scouting process against that player. Um, there are only so many hours in a day that a college coach can even spend with their football players, with their team, watching film, working out, on-field activities. There's only a limited amount of time that the NCAA allows coaches to actually work with their kids. So college coaches aren't going to spend all day worrying about, you know, can can this player 
I mean, he, he he's taking too many steps when he's coming back on the curl. To a certain degree, yes, but you know what, damn it, if we can get him the ball as quick as possible and let that person uh, do what they do best after the catch, then that's what we're going to do because that's what's going to win games. That's what's going to put points on the board, and that's what's going to secure my job. It's imperative that you as evaluators or dynasty owners factor coaching scheme tendencies into your evaluation process of college players. The college game is so much different than the NFL game. There are more quote-unquote standard offensive schemes in the NFL than not. Teams like the Ravens and the Cardinals, those are more of your outlier uh, offensive situations when you have running quarterbacks and we're going to operate out of the shotgun. But for the most part, even with somebody like uh, Baker Mayfield and a potential high-flying offense like the Browns, that's a quarterback that can process defenses and he can make every throw as well as they, they've got a top-flight NFL running game. College is not that. I mean, there are so many different situations that affect you know, what statistics and analyt- analytics alone will not show. Um, Georgia Tech, you know, with Paul Johnson, they run the triple option. Um, Georgia, they've got tons of talent, so you're not going to see um, DeAndre Swift carry the ball 300 times like Eno Benjamin will from Arizona State. So again, you, you can't hold that as a, a major knock against these players. Incoming guys from the 2019 class like Paris Campbell or Nicole Hardman, Josh Jacobs, those are players where you have to you have to factor in offensive situation, coaching styles, etc., before you make a complete and thorough evaluation of their NFL prospectus. So, for example, for, for this exercise, let's look at Ohio State and Urban Meyer, right? He's run the same offensive scheme since he was at Bowling Green. So Urban Meyer's been a was a head coach in college at the Division One level for 18 years. From Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, and Ohio State. And his offensive scheme has pretty much stayed the same. Players change, but the scheme has stayed the same. Urban Meyer's offense is get the ball out quick, quick hitting offense, run the ball, get your playmakers the ball in space. Now, uh, through his 18-year career, all of the recruiting classes, national championships, do you know who has had the most receiving yards in a single season for an Urban Meyer-led offense? Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell has had more receiving yards in a single season than any wide receiver in the 18-year coaching career of Urban Meyer this past 2018-2019 season. He's also had the most receptions in a single season with 90. So that just goes to show you that, you know, I, I know there are a lot of people who knock Paris Campbell for his ADOT, but in all of the years that Urban Meyer's been head coach, he has been the most productive receiver in a single season, better than Percy Harvin, better than uh, uh, Michael Thomas or Lewis Murphy, uh, Andre Caldwell. He's produced more than any of those guys. Now, granted, we have to take offensive situations into consideration. However, that's what the numbers say. Um, Michael Thomas, his best college season at Ohio State, he had 56 grabs for 781 yards and nine TDs. He didn't set the world ablaze at Ohio State. He only had 100 receiving yards just twice, in, just two times in college. But, you know, the scouts saw something in Michael Thomas that has made him one of the best dynasty wide receivers in the NFL. Curtis Samuel is another uh, player that most dynasty owners are all aboard the Curtis Samuel hype train going into his third year as a wide receiver. But remember, at Ohio State, he played that running back 
uh, wide receiver hybrid position that Percy Harvin made so famous, but yet, you know, we are all aboard that hype train this year. And speaking of Percy Harvin, I mean, he was the epitome of that H-back role in Meyer spread attack. And, you know, for his career between uh, rushing and, and receiving, I mean, people were, were super excited about Percy Harvin coming out. He wasn't the most uh, polished wide receiver. I believe he was a better overall prospect than Paris Campbell. But the same questions surrounding uh, Campbell's uh, per- Paris Campbell now and some pe- skewing some people's opinion of Paris, these same things were asked, were, were asked of Curtis Samuel and Percy Harvin. So I just say that, that as, as evaluators, you have to take into consideration coaching situation in the collegiate game transitioning into the NFL and Julio Jones is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL today and this pace will go down as one of the best wide receivers the game has ever seen here are some quotes from respected NFL draft analyst um, some thoughts on him coming out of Alabama and these are all in quote was able to consistently separate in college but still developing as a route runner very raw as a route runner does not have the speed to plant and explode can get sloppy at times and will round off routes Gets too high in his breaks, making route making the route easy to diagnose by defenders. Needs to do a better job setting up defenders and getting out of breaks. Lazy route runner relies on speed and athleticism far too often. Now, anybody who watched Julio Jones play at Alabama from 08 to 2010 knows none of this really mattered, right? We all knew or at least had a strong suspicion that he was going to be or at least have the tools to be an absolute monster in the NFL, which he is. His college production really was not eye-popping, but the talent, his talent, plus athletic measurables, and landing spot created a perfect situation for him, and these are cases where I focus and trust the athleticism I see on tape, the testing metrics that are produced, and the opportunity presented in the NFL. Will there be a learning curve for players like Paris Campbell? Absolutely. Will they have to show it and prove it before some people buy in? Sure. But again, I go back to my original point that just because you haven't seen it in college does not mean that player is incapable of doing it in the NFL. There are coaching situations that are not going to yield the best precision route runners or you know the, the most polished quarterbacks coming out of college. When they get to the pros, that is their job. Every day that they wake up, and that will be their main focus. So if you've got the work ethic, if you've got the talent, the skill, and some college production to back it, you as dynasty owners should not be scared off by lack of traits that you see on tape on Saturdays. All right, let's talk about some players we need to be paying attention to this year who are replacing uh, prospects who were just drafted early in the 2019 NFL draft and for dynasty purposes, you know, first or second round dynasty selections. And first up, we're going to talk about Justice Hill's replacement, Chuba Hubbard. And this was a really fun one to look at because Justice Hill was outstanding during his career at Oklahoma State. He had some nagging injuries his final season that kind of limited his production but the emergence of Chuba Hubbard, the redshirt freshman, was a big factor in uh, Hill's uh, decline, I guess you would say, in his senior season or his final season at Oklahoma State. In his final year, Hill ran the ball 158 times for 930 yards and 9 TDs, and he also caught 13 passes for 68 yards. The combine, he measured in at 5'10", 198. He had a great combine, ran a 4'4", 40, had a 40-inch vertical jump. 
he didn't do the agility drills at the combine, but he he did enough throughout his pre-draft process to be selected in the fourth round by the Baltimore Ravens. Now, Chupa Hubbard, all right, during his high school career, let's he, he played in Canada, all right, so caveat to this, but during his high school career, he ran for 6,880 yards on 458 attempts. Do the math on that, that's 15 yards a carry with 82 touchdowns. And his senior season was cut short because of injury, but he still ran for 2,330 yards and, 30, and 23 touchdowns that senior season. He is a football player with legitimate track and field speed. He competed at the 2015 IAF, IAAF World Youth Championships, and he was fourth overall in the 100-meter dash, running a 10.55. Um, he's a former three-time national championship for his age group in the 100-meter dash, and 24-7 Sports listed him as the 23rd uh, ranked running back prospect in the 2017 class. And what Justice Hill lacks inside, Chuba Hubbard does not. He looks the part of a true three-down running back at the next level. He's 6'1", 207 pounds. Um, last season, he ran for 740 yards, averaging six yards a carry and seven touchdowns. He also caught 22 balls for 229 yards and two TDs. And if we look at Chuba Hubbard's freshman stats versus Justice Hill's, they both ran, carried the ball around the same, 69 for Hill, 67 for Hubbard as freshmen. Justice Hill ran for 346 yards and two TDs, Chuba Hubbard 419 and five. Now, there are obviously a lot of variables that go into the, those numbers, offensive line strength, opposing defenses, the fact that Justice Hill was a true freshman while Chuba Hubbard was a redshirt freshman, so he had an extra year in the weight room, learned the offense. Hubbard is eligible for the 2020 draft, and right now I see nobody across Twitter talking about this kid. We're, we're talking and we're focusing on the the big the big five, the big six, however many you put in there. But Hubbard is somebody who is probably going to slip the second round to the second round of the 2020 draft. And I truly believe he'll only be 20 years old heading into the 2020 draft with 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 big names like Swift and Benjamin, E.T. and Taylor guaranteed to go in the first round. If you opt to go for a stud wide receiver, which this may be the optimal draft strategy going into next year. Take that stud wide out and double back with Chuba Hubbard in the second. You may have yourself a potential dynasty star on your hands with this kid. Redshirt sophomore, he's eligible to come out. Watch his kid. Home run ability, size, speed. He's a fantastic running back and somebody who is comfortably in my top 10 of 2020 running back prospects. Now, the next guy that we're going to talk about is Ricky Slade and He's replacing Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders was uh, a phenomenal running back at Penn State. He was parked behind all-world running back Saquon Barkley for two seasons, and he only had the opportunity during that time to run 56 times for 375 yards and three TDs. But Sanders is 5'11", 212 pounds. His final season at Penn State ran for 1,274 yards and nine TDs, and he also caught 24 balls for 139 yards. Had a great combine, ran a 4.49 in the 40, 36-inch vert, fantastic three-cone at 6.89, and a short shuttle of 4.19. He's the second-round pick of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's being replaced by Ricky Slade, and Slade is a former five-star recruit, according to 24-7 Sports, 5'9", 190 pounds. He's the number one all-purpose back in the nation for his recruiting uh, for his class and 27th overall player uh, in general. 
And as a freshman um, behind Miles Sanders, a true freshman, he got to tote the rock 45 times for 257 yards and six TDs. All the counts during the spring at Penn State, Slade looks like he's going to open the season as the primary ball carrier. Now they have some talented five-star recruits, four- and five-star recruits, who will probably be vying for that backup spot behind, uh, along with Journey Brown, who was a lower-rated three-star recruit coming out, and he only rushed eight times last season for 44 yards. But it looks like Ricky Slade is going to be a, a prospect who will be eligible for the 2021 draft, but uh, you guys, as as Debbie owners, as, as Dynasty owners, need to be paying attention to Ricky Slade this coming uh, this coming fall. Penn State, I don't know what they've put in the water there, but I mean they just churn out running backs year after year. Let's head on down to the SEC and talk about Mr. Brian Edwards, who will be doing his best uh, Debo Samuel replacement as Samuel is off to the NFL draft. Play for the San Francisco 49ers, high second round pick. Debo was 5'11", 214. Final season at South Carolina, played 12 games, caught 62 balls for 882 yards and 11 TDs. Samuel had a fantastic combine. He's, he's, a, he's a great athlete, 4'4", uh, 8", four, 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 and 40, 39-inch vert, uh, 7.03 cone, 4.1 short shuttle, and an awesome Instagram video of him uh, just murdering the rim uh, with a fantastic dunk, just showing his athleticism. But Brian Edwards is a... He's a true X receiver. He's 6'2", 205, 210 pounds, taller than Debo. Debo weighs a little bit more. But Edwards, he may have the best in-air body control when adjusting to passes in college football. Uh, back shoulder fades, high pointing the ball, flexibility, contested grabs. He wins in that department effortless, effortlessly. He has very solid hands catching the ball from, from that wide receiver position and doesn't let too many passes get into his body. The the big question that I have with Edwards is, one, he's a senior, and most of the times we like to see the the stud players, whether you're running back, quarterback, wide receiver, come out after their junior season. But Edwards will be a senior, and the athleticism is where I have the most questions about BE. The difference between the two, Debo and Edwards, is Debo's quickness and separation was, it was I mean, it screamed off the film. I called him the slant king, you know, death taxes and Debo Samuel slants. I don't see Edwards with that level of athleticism, and I have concerns about him at the next level creating that separation, using quickness to create separation. But, you know, I still think he's a top 2020 wide receiver prospect, preferably. You know, I would take Jerry Judy, of course, C.D. Lamb, LaVisca, Jalen Rager. I'd take all those guys ahead of him. He's right there in the tier with Tyler Johnson and T. Higgins in that next wave of wideouts for me. I, I think this season Edwards can can do a lot to help his stock more so than hurt it. Um, I, I think he's a true X receiver. He is a fantastic, you know, go-get-it guy. I don't really see true number one ability from him. Um, between Debo and Brian Edwards, I think I like Debo a little bit more still. But this 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 is going to be a very big fall for Brian Edwards as that senior, you've got Tyler Johnson and Colin Johnson as senior wide receiver prospects too. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that as that top senior wide receiver entering into the 2020 draft. Let's head on down to Norman, Oklahoma, and talk about CeeDee Lamb and Jadon Hazelwood, who are going to replace Marquise Hollywood Brown. 
Uh, Brown was 5'9", 166. His final season stats at Oklahoma, 12 games, 75 receptions, 1,318 yards, and 10 TDs. Hollywood has always been the flashier player at Oklahoma, but throughout their time together, one can argue that CeeDee Lamb may have been the better all-around receiver. Now, if you don't want to go that far, uh, I'll just say he damn sure hadn't taken a backseat to Browns and stepping on campus as a highly rated recruit uh, in 2017. In 14 games last year, he made 13 starts, caught 65 balls for 1,158 yards, and he actually led the team with 11 touchdown receptions, and he had five 100-yard receiving games and caught at least one touchdown in seven straight games. As a freshman, he caught 46 balls for 807 yards and seven TDs. Hollywood Brown was a transfer sophomore from a JUCO, same amount of games, and he caught uh, seven TDs, just like uh, CeeDee Lamb, for 1,095 yards. So again, they've been neck and neck throughout their entire career, and this will be the third quarterback in three years that CeeDee Lamb has had to play for, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and now Jalen Hurts, the transfer from Alabama. Pro Football Focus uh, has a stat that said Kyler Murray had a 145.2 passer rating when targeting CD. That's phenomenal. I mean, he's a reliable target. He's got hands. He's got speed. And his spectacular catch rating, if we were playing Madden, Madden would be 99. He's not the burner like Brown, but damn, his hands are good. And his in-air body control, we talked about Brian Edwards he'd be 1B to Brian Edwards 1A. I mean, he can make spectacular grabs. He, he did it against UCLA a couple of times. I mean, just phenomenal uh, ball tracking ability. He can jump out of the gym. And right now, CeeDee Lamb is my early Debbie wide receiver five, and he's in my second tier of 2020 prospects as far as where I would draft him at towards the back end of the first round of Debbie drafts. Uh, I just I have concerns about Jalen Hurts' passing ability. I'm just hopeful that in Lincoln Riley's offense, he won't have to process as much and he can make one or two reads, get the ball out. If that happens, Lamb should be poised for another 1,000-yard receive, uh, receiving season and uh, set himself up as one of the top-rated wide receivers coming out in the 2020, 2020 class now. Hazelwood is six foot three, 195 pound, 200 pound true freshman. He was the number one ranked wide receiver in the class and the number four uh, ranked overall player in the nation. He was an early enrollee at OU this spring, along with Theo Weiss and Trajan Briggs, which is impressive to have three highly rated recruits graduate high school earlier and step on campus for spring ball. Spring ball. Hazelwood wouldn't rank the number four player in the country for nothing, right? He's got enough speed, but he's not a burner. He kind of wins with size, and he's got elite ball skills rather than separation and quickness. I was a little nervous because there was a lot of talk of, of Hazelwood potentially making the move to safety. They said he could be an All-American safety, but looks like after a strong spring at wide receiver, wide receiver thankfully, uh, he'll be sticking to the offensive side of the ball. Oklahoma has a wealth of talent at the receiver position this fall, and Camp should really clear up that depth chart. I still have concerns about Jalen Hurts, like I said, but um, CeeDee Lamb, Hazelwood, they're playmakers, so hopefully Lincoln Riley devises the offense to get those guys the ball quickly and and let them do work. Uh, Hazelwood's not eligible until 2022, but right now he's my Debbie wide receiver 17, but for 2022 prospects, which is you know a little bit down the line, he's right behind Garrett Wilson at number two. 
Now, speaking of Garrett Wilson and Ohio State, let's talk about he and Jalen Gill, who look to be potential replacements for Paris Campbell, who at six foot, 205 pounds, got 90 balls for 1,063 yards and 12 touchdowns in his final season, absolutely destroyed the combine in Indianapolis with a 4.3140, 40-inch vert, an outstanding 4.03 short shuttle, second-round pick of the Colts. And uh, Jalen Gill, I I think he will probably enter the season as that H-back wide receiver hybrid role. He was a former four-star running back prospect. He's 6'1", 190 pounds, so very close to Paris's size. And during the spring game, he was used in that role. He had six catches for 77 yards. But most people, um, when, when you think about Ohio State spring game, we all saw the catch, right? You know, not the OBJ catch, but the Garrett Wilson, the one-handed just stab in the back of the end zone. Um, and, and that's why he's a five-star recruit. Garrett Wilson looks like he is next up as far as uh, potential NFL prospects a fantastic wide receiver. He did it um, all the time down in Lake Travis, Austin, in Texas. But Gill, he's got that running back build, that running back mold. Now, Ohio State does have K.J. Hill. He'll be a fifth-year senior this season, and he had a damn good junior campaign last year with 67 grabs for 856 yards and six TDs. And they have C.J. Saunders. He's a former walk-on. He's a senior wide receiver also in the mix looking to fill that role. But Just like in the NFL, we talk about draft capital, high school star capital means something as well. So Jalen Gill is going to have every opportunity to earn that um, H-back role. And I think Ohio State wants to use Garrett Wilson on the outside. If you watch the spring game, uh, he played a lot of X-wide receiver. I think they want to utilize his his ability on the outside. I can really see them uh, using him how Ohio State used uh, Michael Thomas uh, a few years back. So... Jalen Gill is somebody that you know nobody's talking about on the on on the Twitter platform right now, but he's eligible for the 2021 draft, and you know he very well can mimic uh, the same career arc like Paris Campbell, Percy Harvin, uh, uh, Curtis Samuel. So you know a natural running back who can catch the ball. He's got great size. So if you hadn't heard the name Jalen Gill, check out his. His, his high school highlights. He played sparingly last season, but he did get some in-game action. Um, it, it's going to be a fun ride this season. Ryan Day, even though it's not Urban Meyer, I think Ryan Day is going to continue to utilize that, 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 that offense that he learned from Urban Meyer, right? Quick hitting, get your playmakers the ball in space, and let them do work. And if that's the case, Jalen Gill will be very a very good Paris Campbell replacement this upcoming college football season. Now, everything that we do as analysts is an inexact science, and I don't care if you're doing it at the highest level for ESPN or NFL Network and Daniel Jeremiah or Field Yates or Evan Silva. It doesn't matter who you are. Everything that we do is an inexact science. We've got different eyes and different thought process viewing the same tape, and we come out with completely different uh, viewpoints on said player. We've got college prospects who defy the analytical odds. It's all a part of the game. But what if we were looking at potential NFL predictability wrong? We normally wait until, you know, the pre-draft process and we look at the testing measurables along with the college production, and then we formulate our rankings or who we think will be successful and not successful. But what if 
what if we were a little too late? And maybe, just maybe, we as dynasty owners need to pay a little more attention to these players when they're coming out of high school. So often we focus on the J.J. Watts of the world, who were not highly rated high school recruits, or Antonio Brown, and we use them as the norm and not the outliers that they are. Or players like Baker Mayfield, who is ranked, according to 247sports.com, the 1,039th best player in the 2013 recruiting class, and we all know his story. He turned out to be the number one overall pick and looks like the next great NFL quarterback. When you're looking at draft classes, you have to understand that they are made up of multiple recruiting classes through the redshirt years, um, undergraduate, declar- underclassmen declarations, but as a whole, the pool of potential draft picks each cycle can be tracked back to a single cycle of recruits. Now, last year, 24-7 Sports put out a fantastic article that I'm not going to give you all the nuts and bolts of that, but they kind of talked about how many five-star recruits were, were drafted, and then they break down a percentage of those players uh, stemming back to their inception recruiting class and kind of go through the numbers. And just in case you don't know, 247sports.com, they only give out 32 five-star rankings each and every year. And the reason why is because they want it to correlate to the NFL draft. There are 32 NFL draft spots in the first round and each round. So there's 32 five-star prospects. Now, if you want to find that article, you can find it on 247sports.com. But I'm just going to give you sort of the summation of what that article says and why I think that we need to start our evaluation process a tad bit earlier. Now, here's what they found the percentage of players drafted per recruiting ranks look like if you combine two years of data. So they used 2017 and 2018. The recruiting classes that they looked at were 2013 and 2014. Now, former five-star high school recruits, 61.6% of those players were drafted into the NFL draft. Four-star recruits, 23.3%. Three-star, 5.95%. And two-star, 1.25%. So generally, five-star recruits are eventually drafted 50-plus percent of the time over any other recruiting uh, star rating. Three-star players make up you know, a rate around 5%. And obviously the way the player pool goes against, it it works against lower ranked prospects in terms of these percentages. There are far more three-star recruits than four or five-star recruits, but it shows by and large, the recruiting industry does a damn good job identifying talent, even a decade away from when those players will eventually land into the pros. So not absolute, but there is something to being a four and five star recruit. So when you're uh, selecting those Debbie players, you know, in rounds four and five of your Debbie draft, you better make sure you're selecting four or five star recruits or minimal three star recruit because, you know, the data shows that over 50% of the time, those five star players are being drafted into the NFL draft. And the three and two non ranked players like Baker Mayfield and JJ Watt, those are your outliers. That is. Unique situations, not the norm. So pay attention to those those ratings coming out of high school. Again, a lot of variables going in there. Um, but by and large, they do a damn good job in the recruiting ranks of identifying future NFL talent. That's going to do it for episode two of the Destination Debbie podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I should be on iTunes here um, very soon, but for now, you can find me on Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Um, Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave me feedback. 
interact with me on Twitter. You can follow me at RayGQ and make sure you follow the show at Destination Debbie. Until next time, peace. Peace.